Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, our first lesson today, Acts 1, 15 to 26, takes place in a period we really know little about, the ten days from Christ's ascension to the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We don't know a whole lot of details, but in one sense, we do know the time very well because it is an in-between time. It's not hard for us to imagine what those days would have been like for the small group of believers there in Jerusalem. The six weeks or so before the ascension would have been an amazing blur. Jesus arrested, tried, and crucified, along with all the grief and despair that his death brought, But then his glorious resurrection and various appearances to them over the next 40 days. But then he left them and returned to his place in heaven. He was not with them anymore, and he told them quite clearly he would not be coming back again until judgment day. But he had told them to wait. Wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they knew something was coming, something new, but they didn't know exactly what that meant. And in the meantime, they would have been asking themselves, what now? Where do we go from here? That's what characterizes the in-between times in our lives too. Your children reach adulthood and move out, and you look around at your empty house and say, what now? Or a loved one dies, and though you know you'll see him or her again in heaven, you're you're feeling uncertain about today and tomorrow, and you ask, where do I go from here? Or maybe you're feeling stuck in your career You have a a decent job, but you know it's not what you want to do for the rest of your career, yet there's no promotion or or change in view. Sometimes these in-between times are full of sadness or stress. Sometimes it's just confusion or frustration or uncertainty. But we all have to deal with them. And being Christians doesn't exempt us from any of it. In fact, in some ways, for some people, it can be more difficult because we start worrying about figuring out God's hidden will for our lives and refuse to be content until we have ferreted it all out, despite the fact that God has nowhere told us to do or expect such things. But we do not only want what is best for our lives and for our loved ones, we also, as God's children, want to do what pleases God. So we do not want, regardless of the situation, to just move forward in the in-between times. We, we want to do it right and do it in the right direction toward the right goals. And the story of the disciples of Christ after the ascension illustrates for us how we as Christians can and should do exactly that. 
we can identify eight steps to take as we see here how to get unstuck and push forward beyond what what now to what's next. And as is so often the case, the first step is in many respects the most important. In those days when the group there numbered about 120 people, Peter stood up among the brothers and said, Gentlemen, <coughs> brothers, <coughs> the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David about Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. Judas was counted as one of us and was given a share in this ministry. Where did Peter start? First, start with Scripture. Too often Christians start with all sorts of other things and only later get around to saying, hmm, what might the Bible have to say about this situation? But here we see Peter setting the right direction for the entire group of disciples by going to the Psalms before they set any direction or, or make any decisions. And note the attitude with which he does so. There is no question on his part that what the Scriptures say is correct and can be trusted. And even more than that, they are approached as an authority that should guide the lives of believers. And that, what God's Word calls on us to do, we should do. We even have an affirmation of the doctrine of divine inspiration of the Bible here. The Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of David. Which means, of course, that the Bible can indeed be trusted to be entirely the Word of God and not of man. True and reliable in every word and teaching. But what Peter brought the Scriptures to bear on was a situation that particularly troubled the believers in this in-between time. Judas was counted as one of us and was given a share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with what he was paid for his wicked act. When he fell head first, his middle burst open and all his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem. And so in their own language, that field was called Akeldema, which means field of blood. Indeed, it is written in the book of Psalms, Scripture again, May his residence be deserted, let there be no one dwelling in it, and let someone else take his position. So we see Peter taking the second step forward. See and call things as they are. Peter did not ignore reality or sugarcoat their situation. He said, hey, we've got a problem here. We're a, a man down because of the heinous things that Judas, our former brother, did. Not only to Jesus, our Master, but to himself when he despaired of forgiveness for his betrayal. It would undoubtedly have been more comfortable to just pretend all was good or to just put off doing anything until everybody felt better about it. But having seen what the Scriptures said about their situation, Peter made sure they dealt with things as they really were to return them to what they should be. And then he proceeds to the third step. Use what God has given you. Therefore, it is necessary that one of the men who accompanied us during the entire time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from his baptism by John until the day Jesus was taken up from us, 
become a witness with us of his resurrection. In this case, what God had given them to use was largely just intelligence and and common sense. There there is no indication here that the, the criteria Peter proposed came directly from God, but they fit the situation exactly. Thinking it through, yeah, anyone who takes Judas's place should be someone who had been with Jesus throughout his ministry from beginning to end and should be someone who could do with the other 11 what their primary job was now that Christ had ascended to heaven. Share the good news of a Savior, not only one crucified for sinners, but one raised to life again for our justification. The group of 120 then moved together to the next step. They proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. They proposed action. Step four. Having seen both what Scripture says and what the situation really is, they applied their collective intelligence and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. They found two men who fit the criteria and said, let's choose one of these. But before doing so, they went immediately to step five, prayer. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry from which Judas turned away to go to his own place. They prayed. Now, this is not to say, of course, that no one had been praying before, but they recognized that it was essential at this point. They wanted God's guidance. They wanted to bring His power and wisdom to bear on the situation before they took this big step forward. Now, the next thing that we see here in Acts might seem odd to us today. Then they assigned lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias. We do not typically cast lots in the church today to make decisions, and for good reason. There there is no command or promise of God attached to doing such things, and instead he expects us to exercise the sense and intelligence that he has given us. But still, what they did in this instance gives us a principle that is step six, allow for God's guidance. They did not just make a move and say, that's it, that's the direction we're going and nothing's ever going to budge us. Instead, they made sure that the Lord had every opportunity to set or change their direction and lead them where he wanted them to go. And then, when he had done so, they followed step seven, go to work. So he, Matthias, was counted with the eleven apostles. Matthias was chosen to be one of the Lord's twelve apostles, to join them in their service and to join them in fulfilling the I sent them into the world mission that Jesus gave them in in today's gospel, to lead the church and to be a witness to the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. And so Matthias served, and so he was accepted. They all went to work together. And though it is not exactly part of the account we have read here, step eight is evident as they do so and move forward from this in-between time. 
They counted on the Lord's promises. His promises to be with them and guide them. But especially His promise to send the Holy Spirit, which would happen shortly after this on Pentecost. A a gift which was exactly what they needed to move forward. Jesus had told them on the night He was betrayed, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Exactly what they needed to go forth into the world as His witnesses. Now, with this vivid account of how that small group of Christ's followers moved forward with the Spirit's guidance and in God's power, we have seen the good and right way to do it. But we should be careful not to miss the lesson of the other example here, that of Judas. That disciple serves as a warning to all of us to be careful lest we fall. Perhaps Judas felt stuck as one of the twelve and was eager to to move up into higher service or move forward to greater profit. We aren't really told, but whatever it was that motivated him, he did not follow the Lord's guidance. He listened to his heart, and Satan was all too eager to get in there and twist things and lead him astray. And for the decisions Judas made, the sins he committed, Judas ended up in judgment. He got what he deserved. And there is a deep irony in that. Having been betrayed with Judas's sin, Jesus suffered and died precisely so sinners would not get what they deserved but would instead get what Jesus deserved. We, like Judas, deserve death and damnation, what Judas got, because we are all sinners who turn our backs on God, follow our own ways, thumb our noses at His commands from from conception till death. But in love, God provided the way out from that. And it is not a harder way of work or greater deeds of love and righteousness. God's way is simply putting your trust in Jesus and what He has done for you. And when you believe in Him, your sins are forgiven. You are delivered from the grip of Satan and the fires of hell. And you are given eternal life and a home forever in heaven's bliss with the Lord. Christ's work of redemption allows us to take our place among the disciples and and at His side. This is unquestionably and infinitely better than getting a field of blood as our reward. But for now, today, we still live in between salvation and resurrection in between birth and death. Maybe on this Mother's Day, we're we're extra conscious of this. Moms of two-year-olds know that that kindergarten and the preschool or the elementary school years lie ahead, but they can't quite see how they're going to get there. Moms of 
32-year-olds might be living in between, having raised those children and the what's next of their having children of their own. And grown children have, depending on mom for everything in the past, knowing that at some point mom will likely be depending on them. And there are lots of questions about the waiting, about the doing, about how to move forward to and through those times. But let's remember that in-between times are really what's normal for all of us. All of world history from Eden on is, is in between creation and this Christ's second coming. And all our lives are in between baptism and heaven, in between good days and bad days, or bad days and, and worse days, or good days and better days. In between youth and middle age, or middle age and death, and, and so on. And when we are stuck in them, or despairing, or frustrated, or certain, uncertain. And, and we need to know how to get started, how to get beyond, how to get moving. We have a plan. We can follow God's way forward in the in-between times, the same way that, that Peter and the others followed. Start with Scripture. Every day when you can, Go into God's Word. Let the Spirit teach you. Let Him guide you. Let Him show you that way forward. Read it. And when you have particular questions or particular struggles, you go to the parts of the Bible that talk about those things. And then call things as they are. Recognize what difficult situations are a result of your own sins. Recognize which are the result of other people's sins. Recognize what may simply be a problem of the weakness of our human nature, yours or someone else. Recognize where the things come from. Call them as they are. So you're not making excuses and you're dealing with exactly what is there. And then use what God has given you. Intelligence, common sense, but all the other tools that you might have to reach a decision. The advice of other people you trust or who love you. Resources, whatever they might be. And then propose action. You look at what you have done or look at what you've learned and you say, okay, this seems to be the right course forward. And then you pray. Pray that God will guide you in your decision. Pray that He will bless whatever decision you make. Pray that He will turn you around if that happens to be the wrong decision. Pray always and all through it and allow for God's guidance. We are not commanded anywhere in Scripture to cast lots or to set out fleeces, uh, to try to command God to tell us what to do, to go left or right, but we allow for Him to guide us. We don't just sit on our hands until we hear something. We step forward, but we let Him move us in our lives. And then we go to work, take the callings that He has given us, and we follow through on them. And all the time, counting on the Lord's promises. First and foremost, His promise to forgive us our sins. 
take us home to heaven. But we count on all his other promises as well, to work all things out for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his good purposes. His promises to to look after us, to look after the ones we love, whatever it might be, we count on them. Because our help is in the name of the Lord, as we sang in our psalm today. We can be sure that no matter how difficult or uncertain or frustrating or confusing we may be as we live in what our particular in-between time today is, we have a God who keeps His promises. Promises to guide, sustain, protect, and save us. He will lead us forward to the best of times at the end of times. And we will follow. We will follow Jesus where He has gone ahead to heaven as He ascended. Alleluia. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.